Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you to Element Church and wish you all a happy Easter. I hope it's already been a great day and a great start um, for, for this incredible celebration. Now, I want to do something that we don't normally do. We don't normally do like a lot of um, speaking and response, but we'll do something a little different today because today's a little different and special. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, he is risen, and then you are going to respond, he is risen indeed. Okay? If some of you grew up in a church tradition where uh, you would say things like this. And so a uh, little out of the ordinary, but I think it'll be fun. We'll do it and, and just get everybody engaged together. And so I'll say he is risen. You will say he is risen indeed. We can handle that, right? Great. Well, happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Great. That was awesome. You know, today is such an incredible day because it's a day of celebration. It's a day of victory, right? This is the after party, right? That's what we're doing right here. This is what we're doing this morning. It's, it's like the, the big parade after winning the Super Bowl. The victory has already been secured and now we just get to uh, celebrate it and rejoice in it and reflect on it. We get to reflect and celebrate and rejoice this victory, this victory that Jesus won over death and the grave and sin. That Jesus came preaching that he could offer something that we couldn't find anywhere else. Because see, for all of us, death is coming. It actually doesn't matter where you come from or where you're going. It doesn't matter if you come from very humble beginnings and you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it doesn't matter if you accomplished all of your dreams and goals and desires in life, no matter how rich or poor you started, no matter how rich or poor you end, death comes for us all. But Jesus came saying, I'm come to give you a different kind of life, a life that will last, eternal life. And when Jesus rose from the grave, everything he was about, all that he did and everything he taught was vindicated. He defeated death. Therefore, he's the only one who has the authority to offer life after death. And so today is our celebration. It's our after party. It's our parade after the Super Bowl victory. This is where we celebrate that the battle has been won. But before you can win a battle, you actually have to fight a war. And so before we get too far into celebrating the victory, what I want us to do is take a moment to just take a few steps back and to remind ourselves of, of what it was like before the victory had been won. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn and look at some passages of Scripture together in the New Testament. Now, if you would like to follow along this morning, the best way to do it is through the Bible app. Now, some of you might actually already have the Bible app on your phone. If you do, you can open up the main menu in the app, go to events, and your phone already knows you're at Element Church. You can click Element Church, and everything that we talk about today is already laid out for you. If you don't have the Bible app, you can scan this QR code, and it'll just open it up in a web browser. Not only that will all the scriptures be there, 
But there's a lot of other things that you can do in the app. Like if you have a prayer request this morning, like maybe something is heavy on your heart or in your life and you would like for someone to pray for you. There's a digital uh, form that you can fill out right there in the Bible app to share a prayer request with our church. You can even tell us if you want it to remain private. If you want it to be anonymous, you don't even have to attach your name to it. If you're a guest with us, you can fill out our connection card and let us know more about you. Let us know how can, we, how can we serve you or minister to you or bless you and your family. If you'd like to sign your kids up for Vacation Bible School this summer, there's a link for you to sign up your kids and it's free. And if nothing else, that's three hours every day that you don't have to uh, deal with them. We would love to watch over them and teach them about Jesus and play games with them and feed them snacks. And we're going to have an incredible time. And we're going to end that whole week of VBS. We're going to end those three days with a huge block party on Friday night. And so all of that you can do from this Bible app. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 24. But before we get there, let me tell you about a little bit what has happened to this point. At this point in the story, Jesus had been killed a little over 24 hours, about 36 hours before. Uh, he had been taken down from the cross and he had been placed in a grave. The disciples and all of the followers and fans of Jesus were completely distraught. It seemed for them as though the battle had been lost because this great leader of theirs had just been killed. It was not a good day. And it, just as the sun was rising on Sunday morning, a few women who had been close followers of Jesus go to the grave site to do what was traditionally done in the first century. They didn't have the same burial techniques that we do today. And so bodies needed to be wrapped they need to be treated with oil and spices, prepared for their final stage of rest. And so these women went early Sunday morning just as the sun was coming up. And when they got to the tomb, Jesus' body was missing. This just sank them to a whole new low. Because the worst crime against humanity had just occurred 36 hours before. A completely innocent man who had devoted his life to teaching people truth, to healing the sick, to raising up the poor and the social outcasts. He had been killed for his compassion and his care. And to make matters worse now, Someone has stolen his body. It's like they just kicked all of Jesus' followers when they were down. As if it wasn't bad enough he had been murdered for his love and compassion, now they've stolen his body. And then suddenly, two angels appear. And they say to these women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? The women are confused. What, what, what are you trying to say? And these angels tell the women, Jesus, the one you're looking for, he's not here because he's alive. And in such great joy and excitement, these women run to tell everyone else the news they had just heard. And here's what happens when they arrive. 
In Luke 24, verses 10 and 11, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They're delivering them this incredible news. This Jesus who we saw murdered is alive. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These apostles and these followers of Jesus did exactly what every one of us in here today would have done. If someone came and said, Jesus is alive, you'd have said, no. No, it's not possible. I watched him get murdered. I watched the Romans publicly torture him and then execute him in front of all of us. I watched it happen. So whatever you think you saw, ladies, you didn't. Let's be honest, that's how all of us would have responded to that news. And the feeling in the room is not good. Later that evening, these followers are gathered together in John 20, verse 19, the first half of this verse, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this this Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They had not only gone into a stage of mourning, they had gone into a stage of hiding. Again, they're doing exactly what you and I would do. Jesus had just been publicly tortured and murdered for his love and compassion. What do you think these people would be willing to do to those who follow Jesus. So not only are they hurting and broken and depressed, they're scared. All hope has been lost. They are totally disappointed. Have you ever felt this way in life? Have you ever built up all this hope towards one thing in your life, a goal, a dream, a vision for your future, a vision for your marriage or your children or your career. And then in just one or a few short events, everything comes crashing down. All your hope is just ripped away. I had something kind of like this happen to me just a few days ago. So on Friday night, our church had an incredible time together we celebrated the Passover Seder. Now, if you're not familiar with that, it's a over 3,000 year old tradition that Jesus did with his own followers uh, that he began to use that, that final supper as a teaching tool. And he taught his disciples, I want you to now take the cup and the bread and every time you enjoy them, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. That's why Christians sometimes will take juice or wine and bread and break it and take communion. It's in an honor of this tradition. We had an incredible time on Friday night. There were a ton of us. As a matter of fact, the room we were in was packed out. I don't know that we could have fit any more people in there. We had a great time. We ate great food. It was awesome. And so we began packing up and cleaning up when it's all done. And just because I was a little busy that night trying to lead through stuff, I didn't eat a whole lot. But as we were packing up, I noticed, hey, there's some leftover food. Great. That means when we get home, I can eat. And then 
I saw that on the tray of cookies, there were still like 12 cookies. I was like, yes. Like I assumed those would all be gone. And so we finished packing up, we head home, and we were really tired. So uh, my wife actually looks at me and she was like, how much do we un- need to unload? And I was like, just anything with food, let's bring it in. Everything else, we'll just leave it till tomorrow. So we bring in the food and I eat uh, a little bit of food and I'm like, yes, I can't even believe our church people left this many cookies. And so I walk over there and I open it up and I'm like, yes. And then I realized the only thing left were oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> No wonder they're still here. (laughs) The only thing worse than that is actually taking a bite of what you think is a chocolate chip cookie to discover it's raisins. That's the only way that situation gets any worse. Um, But I was desperate, so I ate like one and a half anyways, but I was still a little perturbed that our church people ate all the good cookies and left oatmeal raisin. But now that's a really silly example But on a serious note, these disciples were distraught. See, Jesus was supposed to be their hope. For hundreds of years, God had been delivering these messages to his people, saying, I am going to send a great king to you, this anointed king. That phrase, anointed one, from the Hebrew, we translate Messiah. From Greek, ancient Greek, we translate the word Christ, this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one, this great king is going to come one day and he's going to to begin a new era within humanity. This great king is going to come and begin fixing what's gone wrong in our world. This great king is going to come and sit on a throne that won't ever end, to lead a kingdom that will have no end. This great king is going to come and lead us into a better and brighter future. You know, we often read about the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, the main, the most famous 12 who followed Jesus everywhere he went. And in addition to them, we know that there were a great crowd of women and other men. As a matter of fact, everywhere Jesus went, there were generally thousands of people who were there along with him. I mean, we read story after story after story about Jesus, about where, where entire buildings or even villages would be so crowded that people started to feel like they were being crushed. All these people had put their hope in this great king who's going to usher in a new era of world history and humanity. And, and then this king died. And with the death of this king came the death of this new era and this new kingdom. So we read the first half of John 20, 19. We'll we'll finish that part. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side that had been pierced when he was crucified and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord (laughs) that they were glad when they saw the Lord is an enormous understatement they weren't just glad that their friend was alive again but this meant that the kingdom was not gone that this new era had truly begun you see the death of Jesus was not the end in fact the resurrection meant there was a new beginning 
This is the gospel. The word gospel means good news, literally. This is the gospel, that the death of Jesus wasn't the end of this new era. The death of Jesus was the end of an old era. And the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of something new, a new way of life, a new way of being human, a new and everlasting kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we celebrate on Easter, the victory that has been won over death and the beginning of something new. This gospel is talked about throughout the Bible. That language is specifically used most frequently in the New Testament, the part of the Bible that was written after and in response to the life and ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in the first century, one of the greatest early Christian leaders was a guy named Paul. He traveled throughout the Roman Empire. He was a very cosmopolitan kind of guy. Uh, he could speak lots of languages. He had the education equivalent to what we would consider a PhD. Brilliant mind and was devoted to sharing the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that something new had begun. And so he actually writes a letter to a church that lives uh, and exists in the ancient city of Corinth, what would be on modern, the modern-day Greek peninsula. And he writes a letter to them to uh, encourage them. And he used to be their pastor, and then he moved on to start more churches. And so he's just writing a letter to encourage them and teach them some things. And fortunately, we have a copy of this letter. And so in 1 Corinthians, we call it first because he actually wrote multiple letters to this church and we have more than one of them. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he begins to remind them about the gospel. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. As Paul begins to remind them of this gospel, this gospel that has changed and transformed their lives and their community, he wants to remind them that what happened with Jesus was always a part of the plan. That Jesus' death and his resurrection was talked about in the scriptures even long before it happened. And you can actually do that today. You can go back into the Old Testament, the part of your Bible that was written before Jesus, and look at these prophecies and predictions about what would happen when this great anointed king, when the Messiah, when the Christ showed up, what would happen? Things written 400 years, 800 years, even 1,000 years before Jesus would show up on the scene. Paul says, while the disciples were distraught at his death, it was actually always a part of the plan. Then he goes on in the next few verses. And that Jesus, after raising from the dead, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas. Now, this is just a different uh, name for Peter. Peter is his more traditional Greek name. This would be his Hebrew name. Uh, and then to the 12, to the most famous of his followers, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. That's all of those who followed him. 
Notice what Paul says here, because he's writing in the first century. As a matter of fact, he's probably writing just a few decades after the resurrection took place. That He's actually almost as though he's inviting those who may be skeptical. Hey, the people that saw Jesus die and who saw him alive again, most of them are still alive. You can ask them for yourself. Then he goes on. After appearing to all of those, verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now there's this really interesting phrase here that I think we too often read right over. We just move on. Because this passage is not about Paul, it's not about any of the apostles, it's about Jesus, it's about that he rose from the dead. And we see this phrase that Paul is talking about himself, this one untimely born. And it's easy to read it and move on quickly, but I don't want to today. I want to let this settle in for a moment. This phrase that Paul uses here, in the first century, and he's writing this letter in ancient Greek, this phrase is a a Greek idiom that we know from the first century was used to refer, refer to abortions, miscarriages, and premature births. That's a really interesting phrase that Paul uses about himself. It's as if Paul is trying to tell his audience, everything about my life screams mistake, waste, worthless, hopeless. As though all the hope I had built up for my life is just not going to come true. It's though I just kind of a wasted opportunity. If we were honest this morning, some of you may feel that way. And maybe that's an understatement. Maybe many or most. And maybe not today, I certainly hope not, but have felt that at different seasons or moments of your life. Your life was a waste, a bit worthless, hopeless. That even like the disciples after the death of Jesus, you had all this hope put on something or someone and it all came crashing down. It's as if Paul is saying, that's, that's how I felt. There's one untimely born. And he tells us more why he feels that way. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Apostle just means sent one. That's, that's someone who's sent out on a mission. Jesus, when he met Paul after the resurrection, sent Paul on a mission to, to go and start churches and start preaching the good news, the gospel, and telling others about Jesus. He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Before Paul became a Christian... He had devoted his life to destroying everything Jesus stood for. He had devoted his life to arresting Christians, to throwing them in prison, and on many occasions even 
encouraging or supporting their execution. A guy named Stephen was the very first ever Christian martyr. And Paul had a hand in his death. He was right there when it happened. Because for Paul, he had built his life in one direction. And Jesus stood as a threat to that direction. That same kind of feeling is what led others to to murder Jesus. Because while he was preaching grace and love and caring for those who were hurting, when he came teaching about how, how he came to give life, a life that actually lasts longer than death, Jesus started gathering more and more followers and more and more attention. He became a threat to those who are in power. Jesus became a threat to their ability to abuse their power against the vulnerable. And Paul was a part of that crew until he met Jesus face to face after the resurrection and it changed everything about his life. And Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The resurrection of Jesus is hope. When all hope seems lost, the resurrection of Jesus brings life where there was death. For Paul, the resurrection of Jesus meant not just a new way to see Jesus, but a new way to see himself. That in the resurrection of Jesus, Paul found a new identity, a new purpose. That this old life of him was a waste because he had devoted it to all the wrong things. But the grace of God superseded everything else. Paul says the grace of God has changed everything everything about me and by God's grace I am now what I am because of him not me and now I have a new mission in life a new purpose in life now because of God's grace in my life I work harder than anyone because I know if God can save me there's nobody who's too far beyond his reach that if I could run from God this far and he could chase me down then there's no one who can outrun God. And how can this be? How can the grace of God and the resurrection of Jesus not just say something about Jesus, but something about us? Here's the last scripture I want to look at today. As Paul reflects on what happened with Jesus. He tells another church, This time, a church in an ancient city of Philippi, he says, I want you to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus' death was a testimony to who he was and what he came to do. His resurrection was his enthronement, enthronement as king of a new kind of kingdom. See, when Jesus died, it wasn't the death of a kingdom. It was the birth of a whole new era. A new way of being human. A new kind of life. And a new kind of kingdom. And that at his resurrection, Jesus has been exalted. This is the enthronement of Jesus. God exalted him so that all knees would bow before him and that all tongues, all mouths would confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is king. Jesus came to be the king of a different kind of kingdom, one that offers a different kind of life. And so while death may come for us all, at least still at this point in history, it doesn't have the final word. Jesus offers a new kind of life, a life that extends beyond death. He ushers in a new era and a new way of being human. Because of his death and his resurrection, he is enthroned as kingdom of the final kingdom. Because this kingdom has no end and there will never be the need for another. So today we come to celebrate the victory. And what makes this victory so sweet is that it comes in the midst of pain and struggle and doubt and hopelessness. For the disciples and for Paul, when all hope seemed lost, the resurrection of Jesus trumped everything else. No matter where you feel at in life, no matter how you see yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror, no matter what labels you may put on your life or your purpose or your existence, no matter how many of your dreams and goals have died, the resurrection of Jesus redefines them all. So that in him, we are all victorious. And that is why we sing. That is why we celebrate. That is why we clap. Because Jesus has secured the victory and we are here today to celebrate as our after party, as our parade through the streets, that victory has been secured. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your victory. Thank you for doing what we could not do for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. We could not defeat death ourselves. We have no control and no power over what happens to us after death. The reality is our identities are, are marred by all the failure and struggle and doubt and disappointment and discouragement in life. But your resurrection redefines them all. That those of us who would bow our knee to you as king those of us who would confess you as the Lord of our lives and our hearts, enter into a new era, a new kingdom, a new life, a new way of being human. So Jesus, today we want to celebrate you as king.
We want to celebrate the victory you secured. We want to honor you as the king in our lives as we humbly submit to you, as we join your team and get to be a part of this great victory. Lord, would you continue to move and speak in our hearts and would you be honored by the ways in which we respond to you this morning. Lord, we worship you as the rightful king, as the one who won the ultimate victory.